Hello friends, family and newcomers. Welcome to the latest episode of The Abby Khan Show. I have a very special episode in store for you today. If you listen to an earlier episode with Mr. Bobby Holland Hansen, we got onto the topic of a company called Battle Cancer. Today I am proud to present you with the founder of Battle Cancer, Mr. Scott Britton. Scott is a elite CrossFit athlete, so he's a monster basically, <laughs> but he is also the one of the leaders uh, and leading the charge in trying to help people that have been affected by cancer and all the, also those that have been indirectly affected by cancer. Battle Cancer's mission is to inspire, support and unite people with one goal, kicking cancer into the dust. Their mission helps raise awareness and funds for cancer charities by delivering epic fundraising events. They connect a supportive community of like-minded people through the sharing of stories and experiences and also promote health and well-being as a preventative to illness. All of Battle Cancer's links and how you can check them out and help them in some way, shape or form, no matter how small you feel that that help is, it is still helping accumulatively throughout the masses of the world. We can really make a significant difference to the people's lives that have been affected by cancer, again, directly or indirectly. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Scott Britton. You're listening to The Abby Khan Show. A podcast that inspires people to achieve what they once believed was impossible. My name's Abby Khan. I'm an actor, health and fitness coach, and it is my mission to connect with interesting people, share their stories, find out how they optimize their lives for success, and how you can do the same. Today, guys and girls, I have the absolute pleasure to introduce Scott Britton, the founder of Battle Cancer. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice to hear that northern accent. Really nice and strong coming through someone based in, in Australia. When you popped up on the Zoom here, I was just like, you sound northern. And then you said, yes, I'm like, I am northern. I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. I, I know we're already going <laughs> to get on. Um, for the couple of people that may not know who you are, can you just give us a little bit of the background on yourself? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, that's really nice of you to say a couple of people that don't know who we are. Try the vast majority of people, <laughs> but we're working on that. That's one of the things trying to do. So yeah, so uh, Scott Britton, um, a couple of years ago, uh, I decided I'd had enough of doing individual personal challenges to try and raise money for cancer charities. Um, again, like it's phenomenal what people do, but I'd kind of done it for many, many years on every kind of challenge you could imagine. And it was just not particularly that effective in relation to how much money it, it raised. Um, and from me growing up, people always say, oh, you're the battle cancer guy. You must have this insanely like close connection to cancer. Have you had it yourself? Have you lost some? And I say, it's not really from that point. Like I'm quite lucky in that sense. I remember growing up an awful lot. I lost a lot of extended relatives and, and my grandfather to, to cancer when I was very young. But it was just a, a memory of seeing this thing that can take people very quickly or it can take people very slowly. And both of those happening a horrible impact on, on what happens, either losing someone within weeks or losing someone over a slow descent over years. Um, and so I said, right at the time uh, of doing all these different challenges, I was getting higher and higher in elite powerlifting to the point of like competing at an international level, winning medals at international level and different weight classes and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I, I can do something here. So I, I can lift. So deadlift, really easy movement. We can pick a barbell up off the floor. And most people, even with quite a limited amount of, let's say, like training or experience in the gym, will be able to do a couple of reps of a, a deadlift with like 30 kilo or 20 kilo. Even if you put training plate 
lunch on there and it's two and a half on each side they can do it so I came up with a concept of wanting to lift the weight of the Titanic because I was like okay the Titanic sunk we want to pick that back up it like sings really well that people who are going through either loss from cancer or a cancer diagnosis or they kind of they need to come back from a point of where they felt they may never come back from so like symbolically it all works really well but I had absolutely no experience of like bringing people together, doing anything, so just guest, made the world's worst website, I'm pretty sure it's still live somewhere, got on like local news television in Manchester, being interviewed in the most awkward way, I look back now and it's horrifying, and um, made terrible images and posters and everything, but just the end result was we got hundreds of people in different places around the UK to just do this concept of deadlifting over a 12-hour period. And it raised like a, a bucket ton of money for Macmillan Cancer Support, which is a, a UK-based cancer charity. Um, and then the following year, I was like, right, okay, we, we need to do this more. And I'd seen that the functional fitness market had a huge range. You have like elite athletes, and then you have people that go to normal commercial gyms now, but they do a, a hit session. So they know the concept of working really hard for a short period of time with intervals of rest. So that's how that was growing more and more. And everybody could do it. You didn't even need a skill of using a barbell. You can use a dumbbell, a kettlebell, you know, a sandbag and bodyweight movements. And that can end you. You know, programmed correctly, that can absolutely end you. So smart ass here went and booked Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, which is a really big venue, iconic venue in Manchester. And they were like, okay, how many people have you got coming? I'm like, don't know. Okay, like, where's your equipment come coming from? Not sure. They're like, okay, how are you going to pay for this? I'm like, well, I've got the deposit, but the rest will probably come later when I can try and get people to, like, buy into it. So it was just this massive, like, punt, throw it out there, let's see what we can do, and just work solidly for a year, getting equipment, getting people to sign up, getting very uh, small donations from companies to say, okay, we'll, we'll have a stand there, we'll do this and we'll do that. And it, and it went off and it was incredible. And we, we had a live DJ, which was the first time someone had had an actual DJ doing a set to this kind of working out. And we, we had the concept that everybody comes and does four workouts across the day, across different workout floors, but it's designed for everybody. So there's no different weights, there's no different elements to it. It's just no matter who you are, you can come and do our movements and do our workouts. Some of you will do more reps than the other, but everyone can do it. Um, I mean, we learned so many lessons from that first one, but very quickly it just picked up and, and it became a huge thing for me of like, okay, I need to keep pushing that. So at, at the time, um, I was working in the police. So I'd been in the police for nine years in Manchester um, and did this full and was working full time and just battle cancer grew and grew and grew and took more and more of my time from outside of that. And in the past three years, we expanded from one event in Manchester with like 600 people to last year, we had uh, seven events across the world and had about 5,000 people take part in our events. So within three years, we've done really well to kind of grow to that point. And then December, I took a break from my career in that and said, right, let's do this full time. We have 10 events ready for the world. We've got fundraising tours in multiple countries. We've got challenges set across different places. Um, it needs my undivided time. Like, we need to do it. So we had a small team. We all left our jobs. We all decided, right, how much, like, can we earn if we all share living off beans and rice and, like, like let's do this. Let's let's get it on. And then all of a sudden, a pandemic happened across <laughs> the world uh, where we couldn't put events on to get together for the, for the short term. 
Uh, well, we actually managed to get a really big event out in Dublin in January. We went on a big tour of the US. We fundraised absolute bucket loads from that. And then we had to fly back and then lock in our houses. So it's not been the end of the world. Um, but yeah, as, as a bit of a nutshell, we've, I've had to learn during that time how to put an event on, how to communicate with thousands of people, different languages, because we've got events in different countries. We've worked, we have legal working agreements with a number of different charities in different countries. We've set up our own foundation and program, which is called the Move Forward program. Um, and yeah, it's been just constantly learning and guessing. So I'd have loved to have said at the beginning of this, oh, I've got experience running gigantic events and I've just decided to do this. Absolutely not. It was a, it was a big, big punt. Um, and I've been very lucky to get people help me along the way. Um, and we, we're, we're somewhere now where I think we can really kick on and hopefully make something global and, and really make a big event that's going to change people's lives. Do you think that, that that mental resilience that you've got within yourself, I mean, clearly um, has filtered through the other sort of people that are working with you in Battle Cancer? Yeah, I, I'd, I mean, I wouldn't attribute it to me. I think... Again, I don't, I don't think it's because of me. I think it's because of the cause and the, the ultimate goal. So I think it's the goal that's created that resilience. So everybody that's with us at Battle Cancer, so me and my wife, and then we have two others that, that run Battle Cancer with us, um, we've all been affected by, by illness, either one way or another. So my wife, uh, we watched her grandmother get cancer, recover, and then her grandfather get cancer and die very quickly. Um, and then Anna, who's in our team, uh, she's been affected multiple times. And then Hope, who's uh, in our team, she lost a father, very young, uh, with a very long and drawn out battle to illness. So everybody's seen the impact and everybody's felt how shit it is. So I think the mental fortitude comes from the fact that we've said, look, we, we feel we've got a piece of gold. We think people love it. We just need to work really, really, really hard to get people to understand what we're trying to do and take part. So I think it's more the goal of that than than me, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that you're very humble enough to, to sort of say that. How are you guys, uh, I guess, what is the mission about a cast? Have you sort of the fundamental underlying foundational mission? Yeah, so there's, there's three things and, and it's, it's super simple. <clears throat> the first one is to fundraise through fitness. So that's making something accessible for everybody. You know, I am not going to run a marathon. You can do one. It's not happening. <laughs> uh, I hate running. It's not. <laughs> I have to do running stuff in CrossFit, and that's a part of it. But marathons put a lot of people off. It's an incredible challenge. People who do it, amazing hats off. But that stops a lot of people. So does a lot of other like fundraising challenges. They they have a bar of skill or they have a bar of time. So you you know, if someone's going to go and do an Ironman. It takes a very long period of time to prepare yourself for that. So what we want to have is a functional fitness fundraising that anybody, we've had 74-year-olds do our events, we've had 13-year-olds, we've had triple amputees do our events, we had, we've had multiple teams of completely blind and completely deaf teams do our events, and they've all done the movements. So that's the number one for us is fundraising through fitness. And as long as you can move, you can do our event. So if you have a reason that you want to do some fundraising for we will never stop that because of how we program the event and how it's set up. The, the second one is prevention of illness um, and prevention of illness through health and wellness. So we want to work with commercial partners to get into people and stop it before it happens. So that's reducing stress and talking about how fitness can help reduce stress. Stress is a reaction in the body that has been proven to, to turn people already pre pre pre, I can't say the bloody word, who have got a genetic chance of getting cancer, it makes it worse. 
because of the way that the stress reacts within your body and and what happens. So we want to help try and get people into fitness and looking at their own health and looking at their own wellness to stop that. And that includes removing certain things from the diet and just having a general idea of going, I'm scared. I don't know where to go and get fitter or healthier. We want to say, here's our workouts. Here's locations that you can walk into. And they say, we're a battle cancer located place. Come in. We're going to look after you. You've got nothing to be worried about on your journey of fitness. And then the third thing for us is having an actual thing, what we call to do. And that covers so many things. So we have people that use our events as a way of just remembering a loved one. Uh, we have people that lost loved ones on the actual day of our events and they time coming to our event to just give them something to do during that day. It doesn't make them feel better. It doesn't bring that person magically back, but it may, gives them something to be preoccupied with. It means that their mind is taken away for a day. And if that just helps for one day in the year, that's amazing. The other thing to do is our move forward program. So we want to have something physical. We help charities. We've fundraised 800,000 pounds in the past three years for for 30 odd charities across the world but the move forward program is our physical thing where we fund uh, people post cancer treatment to have 10 weeks of free subsidized classes so we pay for their travel we pay for their kit we pay for their coaching in a, in a separate environment to get back healthy and well and at the end of that 10 weeks we fund two or three of them to have fitness qualifications. So they actually become coaches at the end of it. So not only have they had the experience of going through cancer, they've had the experience of getting themselves fit and health, fit and healthy physically and mentally again. At the end of that, they become the next generation of coaches to welcome somebody through the door again who's been exactly where they've been. And that's the thing that we want to do. And, and we, we're fundraising for it at the moment. We've already had one incredibly successful program in Northern Ireland, the inventor of Move Forward is a guy who's in our team called Simon Darby. Um, over the past four years, it's been studied with Belfast University and the results have been absolutely phenomenal. So we're now ready to launch it in America. Uh, we're ready to launch it more across the UK and again in, in mainland Europe. So that's our mission. It's quite a lot of things, but we, we feel that there's a lot of stuff to do in relation to cancer. So we, yeah, fundraising through fitness, prevention of illness and something to do that that's our whole method of what we're trying to happen so when they get um the, the couple of lucky people that get selected to go into coaching what sort of coaching is that that they get selected to go into so the number one thing that we we have is whilst we're not a crossfit event we have incredible connections with the crossfit community and a large part of people that come to our uh, our events are from the CrossFit community and we also just have phenomenal links with people at CrossFit so the first fitness qualification that you get is what you call a CrossFit level one qualification which is uh, an initial weekend followed by a 12 month subsequent like assessment um, and they learn fundamentals of movement fundamentals of basic health and conditioning so they're not going to be teaching you to do an olympic lift they're not going to be teaching you to do advanced gymnastics or to go and do a marathon but they have the skills and the ability to get you back moving from a very simple point on top of that simon darby who is like I say just phenomenal human being he's worked over the past four years to develop our move forward program which includes specific things that that coach will learn to do for somebody coming out of illness so there's vast majority of things that you need to factor in um, when you're helping someone who's just coming out of chemotherapy or radiotherapy to get them back well again. And, and he's covered that from a you know further education, working with multiple people around the world. So it's and, and also in relation to choosing them, 
most of the people kind of make themselves available. So within one group, there's 15 people at a time. The groups are not bigger than that. Um, and you always get one who basically straight away is like, it's been my dream. I want to do this. Boom. And then there's like one or two others that kind of become coaches without realizing that they're becoming coaches. And you, it's that selection of us saying to them, you have this skill, you have this ability to touch people, you have this fantastic way about you, have you considered becoming one of our coaches? And, and that's how they kind of move forward with, with that side. Um, and then they also have a lot of mental health training as well. So we talk about obviously the physical side, but they undergo continuous training um, in relation to supporting people through various elements of mental health. So you guys are obviously running events all around, all around the world, which is amazing to hear. How else are you achieving that mission? Yeah, so the events, numero but that's obviously kind of stopped. Uh, the second is we do uh, challenges. So it was harking back to that very beginning of when I did, you know, raising the Titanic. We go to different countries and we put on what sounds to people like a ridiculous challenge. And that gets us behind it. People donate, people get involved. So we were in the US, we, we lifted 700,000 kilos in two days at an event because that's how many people pass away every year from cancer in the US. So it, it got people's imagination. They were like, oh my God, this is a ridiculous challenge and they get involved. Um, that gives us the ability to kind of be seen in different countries as well and, and interact. And then the other thing is fundraising through, we do through Just Give In and GoFundMe for the Mifold program. Um, and that's, we run things continuously. So whether it's chance to win things online if you donate, um, just asking for people to donate. And Bobby, who you know kindly introduced me to yourself, um, he's been a massive part of a recent campaign that we've done to, to try and get people to see what we're doing and, and, and donate. And that's been including Chris Hemsworth, Matt Damon, Liam Hemsworth, um, a multitude of uh, soccer players. We've had George St. Pierre, the UFC fighter, um, and Hollywood actors all getting behind us to say, give them a couple of dollars in what's going on right now um, because this is an actual program that's helping people. It's not just giving them money for giving them money's sake. No, brilliant. And as we know, like the, the, the sufferers of cancer are obviously going through a indescribable amount of, um, of sort of controversy and, from, and pain and things of that nature. But I wanted to talk about the people that are indirectly affected. How, do you have much contact with the people that are indirectly affected from cancer sufferers? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, like if we throw some stats out there, 9.6 million people die every year in the Western world from cancer. So it's 9.6 million. And what I'm talking about with a lot of people at the moment is I don't want to kind of make coronavirus look less than what it is. That's not what I'm aiming to do. But what I want to do is is make people aware of the numbers of what who were hit by cancer because cancer's mentions in the media have never been lower. You look at the mentions of coronavirus in the media and they're in the trillions. It's the first time a, a something's trended into the trillions. So everybody kind of thinks that right now cancer's just disappeared, but it hasn't. And there won't be a vaccine for cancer. There never will. So you look at 9.6 million people that pass away you have 38 million people every year that are diagnosed. So they're just the individual ones. Now, if you look at an average family, friends, work colleagues, for each one of those persons, that's maybe 10 to 20 people that know that person intimately. So now you're talking about into the hundreds of millions of people that are indirectly affected by cancer. And the hundreds of the millions often don't know, A, what to do, B, what to say, or, or like they also don't know from their own point how do I deal with this? Like, you know, if your loved one has got cancer, you feel guilty for 
being feeling drained. You feel guilty because you're sad and you're having to deal with the burden of not only potentially losing someone that you love or that you care about, but also dealing with your own loss and acceptance of everything that's happening. You've also got a lot of practical considerations as well. We see continually people who they can't work, insurance premiums go up, those that are indirectly affected often take on second or third jobs in other countries to support the person who they know with cancer. So the indirect reach, like I say, runs into the hundreds of millions. Um, and for us, we that's the biggest amount of communication we get. So yes, we do get lots of people coming to us saying, I've been diagnosed, I'm going through this, or you know, I had a battle, now I'm through the other side. And we do have lots of those incredible stories, but the vast majority of emails and messages that we get every week are from people, uh, like a gentleman from Scotland sent us a message the other day. He's gone and had the Battle Cancer logo tattooed on him, which is just phenomenal. I mean, we've now got like 10 or 20 people that have gone and done that. Um, and he said, my wife had cancer, my mom had cancer, my dad had cancer, and uh, my sister had cancer. And so he hasn't had it. But he's had four instances, including every, basically every single person close to him who'd had cancer. So those are the people that want to come and do our event. They're the ones that want to be part of something where they can come on the day, release their emotion through ending themselves in physical activity, but also speak to other people and say, how fucking shit was this? Yeah, really shit. And someone else goes, yeah, I had to deal with my husband being diagnosed. That must have been terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Well, exactly. I know how that feels. And, and that's what's different about our events is people come together who've been affected. Yes, directly, but that's quite small. But indirectly, it's huge. And we have, you know, our London venue had 5,000 people in there last year, 2,000 competing and another 3,000 spectators. Everyone in that place, I open up this, the, the event and I ask everybody in there, if you've been affected, put your hand in the air for a second and have a look around the room. 5,000 people all had their hand in the air looking around the room at each other. And, and that's the message that I say to people, look, turn to them, ask them what it was like, tell them how shit it was for you, listen to how shit it was from them. Um, and that's what's just incredible about the events and what we try and do. And yeah, events are, are on hold at the moment because of coronavirus, but we're doing online stuff and people connecting online and sharing with each other and sending the stories and talking on forums. So that indirect impact, I would say, is the vast majority of people that we actually have connected with us. Do you think people are, or do they seem to be fearful to reach out if they're indirectly affected because they don't know what to do or they're quite open to, to reaching out and actually asking for that help? I think when you look at the numbers and then you look at the amount that actually do talk, I think they are scared. And, and I think... Like I'd said earlier, it's very difficult because what you don't want to do is be the one that puts your hand up and say, I'm really struggling right now because you think everyone should be worried about the person with cancer. So, you know, you you feel guilty for feeling bad or you feel guilty for being depressed or you feel guilty for not being able to be the rock or the strong one. So I think often people feel really, really worried or they don't feel there's a comfortable place to kind of express that. And we've seen it time and time again. And what we, we tend to find is those that have been indirectly affected only really open up about it years afterwards. Um, and so there's a young lady who phenomenal. She did a number of our events. She spoke for us on videos and campaigns. And she lost a dad when she was in university. And she basically made a choice to stay at university and not spend more time with her dad. So she says, okay, I took this selfish choice. And it was, it was very deliberate of, 
I don't want to watch my dad waste away and die. I'm going to stay on my track and I'm going to kind of ignore it as much as possible. And he, and he died and he passed away. And yes, she saw him like intermittently, but she carried a lot of guilt that she didn't have more time with him, that she didn't be the best daughter, all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until our events that she said, I could sit there with other people in a room and they understood that decision. They understood how difficult that was and they understood how difficult it was to now face that being you know, a 30-year-old and looking back at my 18-year-old self and saying, why did you do that? And, and not feeling that guilt that she'd felt for 12 years because she was in a room full of other people that had made a similar decision or had to worry with that, that weight. So I think, I know it's taken a very long way of answering it, but I, I genuinely think most people are just in fear of, of talking about it from their own point because they think that everyone else is going to say to them, oh, you shouldn't feel bad because you've not got cancer. And it doesn't work like that. No, I completely agree. I think people need to look at it from a different perspective. Having the the anxiety, the depression, the psychological implications shows how much you love and care for that person. And if yeah. we're looking at it from that person's point of view, I mean, whether if you speak to your, you know, your loved one, your family member, your nan, your uncle, your mom, your dad, wherever it might be, and imagine that they would, I imagine that they would never say to you, you know what, you need to feel bad. You know what? You know what? You need to be. There's no chance they would say. You know what? I, I this is my issue to have. You're here. You're loving me, supporting me, which is amazing. But you also got to live your life because God forbid I may not be here much longer, and I don't want you to to be there. And again, if you want to be there, that's also great as well. But at the other end of the spectrum, or the other side of the coin, I guess is that you shouldn't feel bad for wanting to continue to live your life, but be there as a um, as a spiritual sort of figure rather than thinking and forcing yourself to go. You know what? I'm going to drop everything in life and be there because I feel I have to be because somebody or society deems that I have to yeah. be. And and look, we, we deal with this all the time. We've got a very close friend at the moment, Craig, who's been a volunteer with battle cancer for the past three years. Um, someone I've trained with, been in competitions with, and, and he, he's, he's had a great, he had a brain tumor removed. It came back very aggressively and now he's undergoing chemo. And we all, we openly talk and say, okay, what are the doctors saying to you? And he says, look, they say to me one time when they have a scan, they say, you might have 12 years left. Then they say, you might have seven years left. Then they say, you might have one year left. So what we see on the media or we see, especially in films and TV is this person sits down and a doctor says, I'm really sorry. You're going to die in, you know, in three years. Now, that is always just this guess. It's a constant change and an evolution of guesswork. You know, as good as science is and as much as doctors are great, they will say to themselves, we don't know. Like, we're just giving you a scenario here. And that's not a countdown to your death. So most people are living off this kind of saying, I might be gone in, in a year. Oh, so I'm going to stop my life now and I'm going to do everything because I've got one last year of year. Some people smash that. Some people stay for 20 years, 30 years. Some people very unfortunately accelerate very quickly and go. And, and I think as human beings, we, we don't deal very well with that and we're not sure where we go and what happens. So for us, it was the events of that indirect way of helping people. We have the direct way, which is the to-do part, which is to move forward. But the events give people the chance to come and talk about it without feeling like someone's going to judge them and without somebody's going to kind of talk them and think they're terrible, you know. And quite often when they come as a family unit and that one person who has been physically affected by cancer, they're actually quite often the least, I don't know, like the least emotionally kind of dragged on person. Like they, 
they, they, they have incredible things that they have to undergo, but the family also have a level of PTSD. They, they have this experience from outside that they've had to deal with. And you see as a family, the person with cancer often says, I, I'm, I'm better now, I'm working on me, but these guys need support. These guys need help now because they didn't have it when I was ill. So it, it's a really interesting one and really cool that you've picked up on that because most people we speak to, they're just very much focusing on the, the individual person. So yeah, it's, it's a massive, massive amount. Yeah, what I think what I think is interesting is is being someone who's personally been affected indirectly from cancer. When my nan passed away with it. Is that oftentimes you find that the person with, with the the disease or the the um, I guess one lack of a better word the issue is the stronger one. Like they're almost accepting of like, cool, I know what's happening, but I know I'm not going to give up. So why the hell are you worrying so much? You know, like where currently <laughs> surrounding, like obviously being near Australia is every single week being on the phone, making sure she's okay. And she's just like, I'm fine. Like, I'm okay. Like, you, you don't need to worry all the time, you know? And that's what I find really, really sort of um, comforting as well um, as someone's been indirectly affected is that the person that, that you love so much and want to support them is often stronger than you yourself, which is really crazy yeah. to think. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing. Like, and I say, look, you know, realistically... Everything that's happening in the world has shown that right now. You know, we've we've never had something happen globally where everybody has been hit all in one go. And whether that's from you might lose your business, your wages have been cut, or you've been ill, or like there's a huge multitude. But the world has all of a sudden gone, whoa, we're having to deal with something. Even the richest Hollywood stars or whatever, they'll had movies paused and they might not have been able to do something. Everybody's been affected. And I think it's shown us that we're not very good at dealing with stuff. Like we just, we have a good period of flapping and everyone worries, everyone goes and the whole panic buying a toilet paper, okay? That, that shows that the world goes, we don't know what to do. I'm just going to do the first thing that comes to my mind and I really need to wipe my ass, so I'm going to buy toilet paper. <laughs> and, and I think that's a massive thing because lots of people have never been in this situation of when they've had to deal with being ill themselves. And a lot of people with cancer and those indirectly affected have this just huge thing facing in front of them. And you can't go into the doctors and say, my nan has got cancer back in the UK and I'm really struggling. You know, they, you, well, I mean, you can and hopefully the service would start talking to you about some mental health support, but it's not accepted. It's not, it's not like the go-to and you would worry about walking in there and having that conversation. Whereas what we want to do about cancer is say, okay, you're a bit worried about this. Here is a list of so many places right near you. Walk in that door. Tell them there's no judgment. You can work out. You can speak to people. You can have a. You can just have somewhere where everybody knows what you've gone through. And and we do it in the classes. So when we we toured uh, all these different gyms in America, I, I said to people, okay, how well do you know each other? And they'd be like, oh, we're buddies. We go drinking. We have a barbecue every month. Blah 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 blah. And then when I did the put your hand up if you've been affected, people were looking at each other like I didn't know that. Like, damn, I didn't know like, like who who'd been affected to you? And some would be like, Yeah, my mom died. And then the other one would be like, Oh, my auntie died. And and I'm like, You guys said you were buddies, you guys said you knew each other inside out, but you didn't know that. And now you do know that you've had this common shared thing that's happened. You can maybe it makes life a bit easier for you. You can come in and say, you know, Tony over there knows what that feels like. Today's a really bad day. I've been really worried about my mom. I know I can just say to him, oh, I feel pretty shit today, mate, and he'll go. I completely understand. And like, that's, that's the thing that's been missing. And I don't think there's a system in place for people from that side. And, and it might be very kind of hippie and wishy-washy of me to kind of think that we can 
we can do that on a mass scale but that's something that i think we can keep chipping away at to give people who've been indirectly affected like you know like you say with when you were having to do that with your nan before she passed like you wouldn't have had a direct place to go to you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have had something that you say okay i know i can go there with no judgment and just get a little bit of help even if that help is someone saying look mate i'm there for you simple as like but you don't have that yeah, man, the, um, the crazy ones who think they can change the world are the ones that usually do. So I've got all the belief in the world that you're going you're gonna to accomplish that <laughs> for sure. Um, to the people that are, that are listening that have been indirectly affected, what would you say to them after having experience with loss yourself? What's, what are a couple of words that you can just sort of partake for them and in order to guide them a little bit? I think the first thing is, this is and it's very commonly used now, but I, I genuinely believe in it, that it's, it's okay to not be okay. I think that's fine. Like we need to, we need to have this acceptance. A lot of the battle it happens internally with someone saying, "I feel really terrible, but I shouldn't because of X, like because I'm not the one ill or because I'm not the one who made pass." Get rid of that. Like that's the thing. Like if you just feel shit, you feel shit. And first, the first part of getting to feel better and help other people and help yourself is to not have that internal fight. So just accept that you don't feel right good about this and that this situation is a bad situation. Like that's, I think, the first thing. The second thing is not is, is to face it head on. If you're worried about speaking to somebody who's close to you about cancer, like, you know, I hate to use as an example, but if we talk about your nan, you know, yeah. you could have just said to her, how, like, what is it? Like, how do you feel? Like, are you worried? Uh, you know, how do you think that things are happening? And I'm sure how much she loved you and how much you loved her, you could say, this is scaring the shit out of me, man. And, and, and like, instead of you kind of bottling that and thinking, I want to say this to her, but I, maybe that'll make her worse or maybe it means that I'm weak and I'm not there for her. In fact, what you're actually doing is making a stronger relationship by having a much better line of communication with that person because you care about them, they care about you. So there's not there's nothing to worry about there. And even people that you deal with from a maybe the friends at the gym, maybe the friends at work who who are undergoing it. I've worked with multiple people who are going undergoing cancer treatment, and they often just say, "Just be honest with me. Just ask me. Don't be like pattering around me and wrapping me in bubble in bubble wrap because it's weird. That's not how you'd normally be with me. Just treat me normal. Don't treat me as Yunnan the cancer patient. Treat me as Yunnan." You know, if I didn't have cancer and you came to my house and you were hungry and you wanted me to make you something, you would be cheeky enough to come and say, Nan, I'm really hungry, make me something. You know, you wouldn't be like, oh, are you okay? And I'm really worried about asking. You just go and take something from the fridge. So that's that whole thing. I think the two things I always say to people is, number one, accept that it's okay to not be okay. And number two, open line of communication and face it face it head on. Because out, coming out of that, I think everybody will feel better. <clears throat> excuse me, and everybody will have a greater line of communication going forward. And and that's something that I've seen with people going who've been through it and at the tail end, that's where they've got to. So hopefully that makes kind of sense to, to some people of uh, in a bit of a real life situation. Yeah, I think we need to sort of change the paradigm a little bit and put things like empathy on a um, on a pedestal rather than it's okay you know rather than try to be tough or be this you know this macho sort of figure of guys and girls and and be it's okay to be open it's okay to be a little bit vulnerable because you're only human you you are suffering with whatever you're suffering with and it's only going to 
be better by sharing it with somebody else rather than try to struggle through it yourself, especially if you've never been through it before. Yeah, and you know, the problem that we have a lot of people is they say, oh, someone's worse than me, or somebody's had this worse than me, or someone's had that worse than me. But you don't know, everything's relative, isn't it? So, you know, I always kind of say it from, imagine you go and do a sprint. Excuse me, so you might, if you just pick someone from, uh, like, the local pub, okay, or a bar, and you said, right, I'm going to sprint against you, you're a fit guy, you're going to beat them. But if you go and get Usain Bolt and say, I'm going to sprint against you, he's going to wipe the floor with you. But you're all going to try as hard as each other. But the result is different because of the experience, because of the training, because of the genetics. Like, there's so many different things. So you may have had the best upbringing in the world, never had any adversity, then all of a sudden your grandmother's taken by cancer. That is the worst thing that's going to happen in the world to you. And so that doesn't mean just because you weren't in the military and you've been shot at and you've saved hundreds of lives and you've used to tackling fires and then you know someone with cancer, it doesn't matter. It's relative to you. And I think I'm not a big person of being like, oh, I'm going to write my life story on social media and everybody who's kind of like saying, oh, I'm this and you know, taking picture of yourself crying and all this kind of stuff. Like, If that works for you, great. But what, what I'm saying is, is about being open with people is actually very strong and it's, and it's going to make you stronger and make them stronger. So I think it's, it's not asking for sympathy. And you, you nailed the correct word that I genuinely believe in is you don't want people to be like, oh, I feel really sorry for you. What you want people to do is say, I understand. And there's a key difference in that. And that's what empathy is as opposed to sympathy. And I think empathy is an incredibly powerful thing that we can all show with each other that doesn't require, <clears throat> doesn't require you to do anything special for anybody. It's literally just saying, I understand how bad that feels. And that can just help people unbelievably. They don't want you to say, oh, that's really, 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 really bad. And I'm, and I'm going to go home and cry about it. They want you to say, no, that is shit. And, and that just changes a, a massive a massive thing. So you nailed it exactly. It's about empathy. So and I think exactly what you said before is that people will often look like, or often look at it like, well, someone's worse off than me. You're like, yeah, that may be the case. But that doesn't stop you from suffering. Like you're still going through something. It's still there. It's still very, very real. And it's okay to to ask for help. It's okay to speak to them. It's okay to to check you guys out and go to one of your one of your charities and your events. It's okay to potentially, if you need to, go see a therapist, go see somebody. Because instead of sitting there and suffering for 5, 10, 15, 20 years of your life, you could seek that help and and not it be over with, but you can get a lot of help and mitigate the the negative outcome, I guess. 100%. So, I mean, it, let's look at it from a fitness standpoint, okay? So, somebody comes to you and says, okay, Abby, mate, I'm, I've been really struggling. Every time I try and run, I have a real bad pain in my lower back, okay? So, they want to run and they have a bad pain in the lower back. You do a number of different things for them, and it's, like, really simple because you can see it, you can feel it, you get a, you get a result from it. What's very difficult to do is when someone's struggling with something in their head is to work out yourself how do I fix my own head? But if I said, I've got really sore back, most people would be like, I'm going to see a physio. I'm going to see a personal trainer. You know, if something breaks in your car and you're not a mechanic, you're going to go to a garage. The problem is when something happens in your mind, people go, oh, I don't know what to say. Or like, I don't, I don't think I should go to someone. It's a problem that needs fixing. And it's, it's treated exactly the same. And that, I think that's the big stigma that, you know, we don't have a garage or an MOT center for people suffering with the mind. We don't have a personal trainer who can help with that. And and the stigma that's been attached for a very long time has been, 
oh, you go see a psychologist, you're crazy. You know, you go to the doctors, it's just, they're depressed. You're going to get put on medication. So what? You know what I mean? Like, there's that. that's the, the big key thing. So it's really cool that, that you're saying that from, from that point. It shows that people are around the world kind of get, get the way that it should be. Yeah, and I think when people, what people don't understand is when you go see a, say, a psychologist, it's because you want to understand. It's not because you're nuts, you know? I mean, some people might be. I'm definitely going to be in that category, but you want to understand what's going on, why you're feeling this way, where that depression is coming from, where that source is, where that trigger is, you know? Same thing with anxiety as well. Any sort of mental um, issue, you want to understand it more. That's why you go see the therapist. You don't necessarily, you know, need to be fixed or you're broken, but there's something that's going on that's not quote unquote normal or the norm, but you want to be able to go, you know what, I need to understand what's going on so that if it does happen, I can be okay. I'd be like, you know what, I get it. I understand. Here's what I also need to do about this. Yeah, 100%. So imagine... You know, when someone's going through something, you may have just been not yourself. So when you were dealing with people, you might have been a little shorter or a little angrier, or maybe you weren't as uh, chatty with people on the periphery of kind of people that you knew. So uh, somebody says to you, you're not yourself. And you're like, well, I kind of didn't really realize that. And then all of a sudden you notice that you're being snappier, you're being shorter in the way that you are. But most of us, myself included, we don't know how to get to the source of that because it's in our own head where somebody externally can come in and say, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to really listen to you and actually help you understand why you're acting the way that you're acting. You know, you look at that from people indirectly affected by cancer and quite often the stress that's put on them, the emotional drain, they get very depressed, they get very devoid. They don't find things fun. They don't find things like, you know, they don't find life a very particular happy place. And maybe they don't understand why, because in their head, they're like, well, I'm alive. I'm not physically unwell, but actually somebody can help them and say, no, you've used all your emotional energy on this. You know, you're very stressed. You've had a, a you're, you're constantly in your reaction. These are the reasons why you're acting the way you are. And, and I, you know, if you're a human being that can do that internally yourself, you're a very wise person. I'd say 99% of people can't. And, and that's where getting help really helps you later on. Where do you think that drive came from? Like in yourself, like driving so hard, you're obviously doing a lot for, for people and, and this genuine care for, for helping others, which I absolutely love. Um, where do you think that drive came from? Um, I don't know. I, I think I often say to people, it's actually quite selfish because you get a phenomenal reaction back from people when you, you, you're doing something. And I, and I think people resonate with it. So, you know, working many years in the police, 90% of my, my interactions are negative. 90% of people, they don't want you to be there. You're at the worst point of their life. Like, you don't really, you know, you don't really ring the police and say, guys, can you just come around and chill out for a bit? It doesn't happen. You know, I'm, I'm coming to your house when something really terrible has happened or you've done something and, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm stopping you from doing something you, you want to do. So that reaction is, is very negative and can build up to that. I also think that from kind of growing up and seeing people on a pedestal, I was always very impressed by people that had a legacy, not from their name, but from what they did. And, and I always felt for me, it was very cool that, you know, people might not remember my face, they might not remember my name, but they'll remember something that happened that made them feel better. So I always explain it from our events that they, may, they might not even remember the name of the event in 20 years time, but they might go, I remember, in an October a couple of years ago, 20 years ago, 
I went and did this fitness thing and it just really helped that year because it was a really bad year. And to me, that is success. That's like, it's a very selfish thing. Like that's me having an impact on someone later on down the line. And I kind of felt that I don't have the ability to do that in any other way. I'm not very good at making loads of money. I'm not going to be, you know, a stockbroker. I'm not going to do this kind of stuff, but I'm pretty good at communicating. I'm really annoying and I'll keep asking for favors until I get somewhere. So that I can kind of use to make something last. And I, and I think that's what's really cool. And, you know, to be super open and honest about it, every time we get an email through from someone that says, this really helped me, that feeling's great. Like, I can't buy that feeling. I can't go and give someone, you know, 100 quid and say, pretend to say that something we created helped you. So people always say, oh, it's a really humble response, or oh, it's really nice. But in fact, I just think it's really selfish because it just constantly makes me feel like I'm having an impact on the world. So I think it's, yeah, I just think it's quite a selfish drive, to be honest. So I wanted to go a little bit more into the, uh, change the tone a little bit into into you and your, your routines and how you optimize your day for success. If there is a routine, there may not be at all. So I wanted to start with the, um, your training currently. So what is it, I guess, a typical day of training in a normal sort of normal world? So you train a couple of times a day. So you're cross, are you crossfitting yeah. specifically? So, I mean, I, I, I kind of stopped. I'm never saying never to compete in a powerlifting again because I'm still pretty strong for my weight. Um, but I just compete in elite CrossFit now. So compete at what you call like a san- sanctional events. Yeah. They're events that if you win them, you go to the CrossFit Games. Um, so I compete at the elite level in, in sanctional events. So, I mean, yeah, I am also the world's most like OCD planned out guy. Um Similar to yourself, don't tend to sleep an awful lot. That's one bad part of the training. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go through what happens. So I, I do train uh, on average twice a day. Um, I break that down. So I get up and I eat. As soon as I, I wake up, I eat. I try and eat eight meals a day. Um, like a meal can consist of just a shake and something else. So I make all my own food, um, which has been a great thing of actually kind of being forced to work at home. And not, I used to travel an awful lot. So I have no excuses here. So as soon as I wake up, I eat. Um, what do you eat? What's the pre-workout meal? Uh, What's the breakfast meal it's one? A, it's a bagel and a protein shake. It's the very first thing I'll eat. Okay. Or like oats. So it's either oats or a bagel. Everyone's like, bagels, that's really bad for you. But they're just the superfood. Amazing. Like, so yeah. good. Um, so it'd be like a bagel or I'll have like a big, a big bowl of oats with some honey. Um, and that gives me just enough from an instant hit to like do my first session. Um I also eat really late at night as well, so that kind of fuels that morning session as well. But that, and I'll go and I'll train for about an hour to an hour and a half. That's like mobility, activation, and then uh, a variant of like a cardio piece, or I'll do a, or I'll flip my weightlifting and do weightlifting only. But it, it tends to be like a single modality thing for usually cardio. So it's like running, cycling, rowing. Um, that can range from short hit session that lasts for 40 minutes or it can be a longer piece of cardio that can go up to like two hours but that's usually my first kind of thing in the morning and it helps me just kind of get alive to the day for training and then I come back uh, work so it'll be sort of three four hours of work I'll eat a couple of times in between that the the second big meal of the day so I have another shake and like a, a high hit carb be it like a carb powder or it'll be a fruit juice or like a bit of fruit as soon as I finish training. Then uh, my my kind of third meal of the day is very carb heavy. So 
that's like the biggest amount of carbs I'll have through the entire day coming that third meal. Um, and I'll have that while I work. I'll have another meal. Then I'll go and train. Uh, so that's like a bigger training session. So that usually lasts about two to three hours. Um, I'll do weightlifting. Mixed in that will be a number of like CrossFit workouts. So it'll be like uh, what you call an EMOM. So every minute on the minute, that'll be a mixture of gymnastics, uh, cardio, um, with, with barbell cycling and, and te- technical drills. Uh, then I'll eat again. Then we often run online classes. So um, I'll work for about another hour. Then we'll do an online class. Uh, come home, work for about two or three more hours, uh, eat two, three times between that. And then I always give myself about 45 minutes before bed to, to kind of finally watch some TV, eat my last meal and just kind of chill out before I go to bed. Um, so that's pretty much my average day. And it's been like that now for 10, like 10 weeks, which is nuts. Um, usually I'm kind of traveling everywhere and we put physical classes on, I'm at events, I'm competing. So yeah, it, that has been one good thing for 10 weeks to have some level of consistency. It's been pretty cool. Are you tracking macros, calories, anything of that nature, or are you just sort of auto-regulating a little bit? So, uh, yeah, I, for many years, I was kind of just automatically regulating from the things that I'd seen I could eat. And then at the beginning of lockdown, I said, okay, like, do you know what? I'm going to, I signed up and worked with a, it's, it's called RP. Uh, it's called uh, RP Diet. So, um, touching on that, uh, so RP Strength, we had uh, Mike, Dr. Mike Israel on uh, last week. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's phenomenal. You know, it, what's so difficult, I don't usually like talking about food with people because, not like it's in yourself, but when people message me and say, can you share your diet, can you share what you eat and share your macros, and I'm like, I can share it, but it's for me, and like I train completely for me and i don't think that it's necessarily going to work for you and there's no point me like selling it because you're not mean you don't do the same thing um where the rp diet is immense so number one he, I'm, I'm selling it now you could just replay his his episode <laughs> but number one it, it's this performance led so it's not just like if you want to lose weight it's great you can make you lose weight if you want to get shredded you can do that but it also uh, it's one of the only programs where i've seen like actually just for athletic performance and in there is very sensible choices and what that's helped me do is go do you know what it's completely fine to have things like fruit juice and and i was like totally against sugar i was i I ate incredibly clean and i was like right okay i felt really bad if i had like dark chocolate stopped it and in there it's like no it's fine it's like you can have that it's not a problem Um, and for me it's more of a reactive thing so i don't follow their diet plan I use the app for me and I go, right, okay, this meal, what am I going to have? Okay, this tells me I can actually have like 400 grams of sweet potato now, where in the past I'd be like, that looks a lot. Maybe I shouldn't have that much. So I was very much under eating. This has helped me so, so much. And I think when you watch his TED Talk, which is a really good talk, he's very straightforward about misconceptions of food, where you think that you should under eat in certain elements and not approach things. And I think it's a... One of the most sensible approaches I've seen to getting good nutritional advice to people. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the other one that I lean into is a guy called Stan Stan Efferding. Yeah, vertical diet. Yeah, so, yeah, the vertical diet, very very good. I mean, so I'm luckily quite uh, I know Hathlo Bjornsson quite well, know him over a number of years, and to see somebody of his size have abs from like a diet, I was like, okay, that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, there's certain elements of the vertical diet that are for strength athletes specifically, and especially strongman, 
you know, he talks a lot about using salt in food. He talks a lot about certain uh, reducing fibrous like vegetables that we have and stuff. So I know that's for them. But again, if somebody was to like say to me, where could I go to get a bit of advice? Those are the two that I would say, look, I genuinely think you've got a good base from these people talking about that. Yeah, what I love about both those, but Stan and the team of um, Renaissance Periodization is that it's heavily science-backed. It's not a, this is my opinion. It's no, this is the, the science that we've got over multiple practical oh, yeah. clinical, uh, clinical studies that we've done over a very long period of time and had it work over a long period of time and completely individual as well. It's not a case of you have to eat this and so does everybody else. It's no, here's what we know and here's what we know from the science from the you know nutrient density of certain foods that are going to do better for you and again if you're looking at stan effort from a performance standpoint some people don't perform well with a lot of fiber in their intestines so it's probably a good yeah. idea especially strongman training you know their workers are three four hours long at a time so you don't want a lot of fiber in you you want nothing so a hundred percent of me i always found you know Everyone can go and say a broccoli, white fish, white rice, and a white chicken. And for me, if I eat lots and lots of broccoli and I eat lots of green-based vegetables, it's, it's too much. My stomach's like, boof. So then the problem was I wasn't eating enough calories and I wasn't getting enough in because I was having, like, let's say, 100 calories worth of broccoli, but that impact on my stomach was the same as like 300 grams of rice or including sweet potato in there or carrot or something else. So I was under nutrient because I was having something that I felt I was told to because society says you should be eating loads of this. And my performance was definitely tanking as a result of it. And considering, like I say, I must train what's maybe 50, 40, 50 hours a week and I work a lot and I don't really, uh, you know, have much of a time. I needed something that's completely like what you said, it's backed and it, it, it's from that point. So it's really cool to kind of hear that and obviously to be to speak to those kind of people is, is, is immense. And it's worked for multiple different kind of athletes. It's completely changeable. So when people say to me now, can you give me some advice or some help on some food? You know, there's you know booty influencers out there that probably make hundreds of thousands every year because they have like a little diet and I've seen some of them and they're, te they're terrifying. Yeah. They're absolutely terrifying what they what they tell people to eat and, and they make shells of people for one picture where they hold up a, a newspaper and I'm like, you have zero output. You're probably the most depressed you've ever been and nutrient like lacking in your body is phenomenal um, where these make athletes and they make world leading athletes and they also change a lot of people's lives to be healthier and happier people. So especially because I talk about cancer, I talk about illness, I talk about health as a prevention. If I ever open my mouth about food, I want it to be backed, you know, and, and, that, and that's why those two particularly for me are, are very, very good. Is there um, a particular book or even, I mean, it might even be an article or something that you've even seen that's profoundly had a positive impact on your life over the last sort of year or so? Um, yeah, so I mean, again, like I don't read lots. There's books that I've loved kind of from the past number of years. One was really great, that's what I always talk about as a book, and it's a children's book. Um, the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. Uh, yes, um, and it's, I always get the name wrong because it's really, really long, but it's something like the curious incident of the murder of the dog at midnight. And basically what it's, what it's about is a young lad who is severely autistic, so very, very, very autistic. And he has a dog that lives next door to him. This dog gets murdered in the night 
and he goes on this quest to try and find out what's happened. That doesn't really matter. The best part of it is, is it's actually about understanding the way that people think and the way that people view the world. And it's written by somebody that's worked with autistic people for many, many years. And when you read the book, it's through the eyes of this child. So the way he interacts with people is incredibly literal. It's unbelievably not like how most people see the world. And it, what it actually did for me was go, okay, not everybody sees this world the same way that I do. And when you see it like that, you're like, okay, that's the way that somebody reacts in this situation. That's the way that somebody reacts in that situation. And once you get very comfortable with just having that, you can understand the way people then react to you is different, how you might do it, and also make you introspectively look and say, how do I appear to someone else? How do I speak to someone else? How do I interact with someone? So that's a really cool one. I think from as a, as a piece of media, the film Free Solo about Alex mm. Honnold who completely free solo climbed El Capitan and I'm not a climber I'm like uh, it's not my my jam I've I've done climbing before and I'm terrible Um, it's what's incredible about that is it's about goal setting to me the the whole film and his TED talk and everything else it's not actually about climbing it's about goal setting and what he does he stands at the front of El Capitan and says I want to climb that with no rope and you look at it and you're like oh not a chance mate you're gonna die 100 percent, you're gonna die and what he did over a number of years was break down that mountain into individual pieces that he learned with his eyes closed so when he actually got to the top of that mountain he'd climbed every single part of it multiple hundreds of hours of it so that end goal was basically easy it was nothing because he'd broken it down and done it. And and for me, from a sport point of view, from a life point of view, from a trying to be successful in what we're trying to do about cancer, it was it was a really cool way of seeing someone who says, I had this massive dream. Most people look at it, laugh at it and say, you're going to die if you do that. But this is how I did it. And it was by breaking it down and looking at each individual piece and taking that on time and time again. And, and that's, that was a super, super cool, cool thing for me. And I always tell people, if you get a chance, watch the film. Don't just be kind of taken aback because he's climbing a mountain and you think he might die. Actually listen to what he says and look at how he broke down that incredible challenge. And, and I think it would give a lot of people some good direction. You know, Even if they want to find a new job, if they want to go back to school, if they want to you know, lose a bit of weight, it teaches you how to goal set and not just have a gigantic end goal. It teaches you how to break that down. Who has been a a big inspiration for you in your life who's sort of um someone that you look up to that you've sort of wanted to i guess in some way shape or form emulate what they've done um it's a really tricky question i don't think i have like an individual i think it's been a collection of seeing different people do different things um i think i it sounds like a really weird answer this but i also like to learn from people fucking up and I think I've learned more from watching people fuck things up than, than probably copying people who've been successful in a really weird way. Um, I, I genuinely think that's the case. I think I've seen people do things and I'm like, okay, that's definitely the wrong way to go about something. And, and that sounds like a really negative answer about the way that I've kind of done that. But I just, I don't really have an individual who's someone who's, who's done something where I'm like, okay, I want to copy this footprint and I want to go like that. It's been a collection of predominantly athletes because I just love an athletic mentality I think that's really important and then seeing people who built things from nothing you know like you, you look at the classic ones like Steve Jobs like Elon Musk 
you know, as, as weird as they can be and were, you know, obviously uh, Steve Jobs passed away, but you they started something very small. People laughed at them. They had an end goal. And again, how they broke that down to get to that end goal is very inspiring to me. You know, everyone can just say, I want to have a billion pound company, but they didn't say that. What they said was, I have a vision and I have something that I want to do. And along the way, they became billionaires and they, you know, impacted millions of people around the world. They didn't just come out and say, I want to be a billionaire. They, they had a vision and they had a dream and then they, they accomplished it. It's the same with phenomenal athletes that you look at. They don't just say, I want to be the best ever in the world. They say, I want to win this. I then want to win that. I want to win this and I want to work hard. So I think it's probably a collection of people really from that side. I think it's always interesting when you look at those people, as you said, Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates, you know, most people like that, they are billionaires on paper, but they don't live a billionaire lifestyle because the money means nothing to them, like absolutely nothing. Yeah. They would g- gladly give it all away for a, for a chance to just to continue doing what they're doing for the next hundred years of their life. If they could trade, if they could trade life for money, they would take life every single time. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I said it to someone yesterday, um, if anyone's been watching The Last Dance about Michael Jordan, which yeah. is phenomenal, and you learn about a winning mentality, and you learn about, you know, he was a bit of a shit, as well as being an incredible leader, and you look at all that and you say, okay, would you, the end goal, okay, so uh, Michael Jordan's a billionaire, he is, but you could also be a billionaire from winning the lottery. What's more fulfilling? Being Michael Jordan, having won six NBA titles, MVP, having the biggest shoe in history, Space Jam, you know, like, would you want all that and be a billionaire or just being a billionaire? And I think the vast majority of people are going to pick the Michael Jordan route. They're going to say, I wanted to be someone who was successful across multiple things, had a legacy. I didn't want to just be rich. And I think that's really cool to push to people right now is to see that don't just focus on the end bit. Focus on what you can achieve and accomplish on that way to the end part. And I think that will make you more successful in the long run. And those people that you've already mentioned, you know, they've got lasting legacies. Yes, people say their money, but you, that's not the first thing that you talk about. You know, Steve Jobs talked about the iPhone, changing the way that people communicate across the world. They don't say, oh, he was a billionaire. They say everything that happened, you know. And I think that's, you know, I'll never be that fame. I'll never be that impact. But I think to kind of copy it and scale it down for you, no matter what you're doing, I think is a very, is a very successful way to set yourself up. I mean, I want to be super respectful of your time, but what's the, the rest of 2020 got in store for yourself and Battle Cancer, obviously, when things get back to the norm? Yeah, so right now we're pushing really hard with the Move Forward program. We, we, we've got a goal of £60,000 to fundraise for that. That means that we will be able to put on 15 of these programs across the world. That's, that'll be almost 200 people on the programs. We've, we've got enough money that we're going to start two already, which is amazing. So big, big push on that. Um, and then from September world being allowed our event schedule kicks off again so we have events in germany in france in spain in sweden uh then we have our events in the uk in london and then a huge part of the time of what we're doing now is is really pushing so that 2021 we hit america we hit australia we hit europe and we really get our name out there and get people coming to the events but interacting with us so lots of planning and then fingers crossed from september if the world comes back to some kind of normal and we've changed our events so that we've got hand sanitizer we've got cleaning we've got 
gaps between things like we've completely flipped the events on the head um we hopefully get back on that event trail um and then yeah i need to come and get over to australia to make somewhere for me to have my first australian event so <laughs> i need i need a, a plane i'm going to charter a plane or like row across the ocean or something to get there but uh yeah that, that's what we're doing lots of planning and, and hopefully salvaging some epic stuff out of uh yeah weird 2020 Man, anything I can do from for this end of the water, please let me know. I'll be more than happy to. I'll row halfway and like help drag okay. you the rest of it, and we'll do it as a team. <laughs> I think the best thing is, and what I love to point people on on this, and I'm sure you'll do it anyway. But if we get an event that's close to you, we're gonna I fully expect you to be there in a team. We're gonna get you there, and it'll be, we'll get you obviously on the on the mic on the day. Would be really cool. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, man. Like I said at the beginning of this, before obviously started recording. Um, the chance for us to, to have another reach, to, to speak to people, to impact on people is just, uh, it means thousands and thousands of pounds to us. And, and it, it means much more than that to people that listen. So from not just myself as the, the gob, but from everyone else at the team, just thank you so much for, for having us on and giving us this space. It's, it's really, really cool. Thank you so much. No, it's been my pleasure, man. Lastly, where can people reach you to find out more about Battle Cancer, what you guys are doing? Yeah, super simple, battlecancer.com. Really, really easy. All you got to do is type Battle Cancer into Google. If it doesn't pop up, then just type battlecancer.com into the top part of your page and it'll come up. Everything about us is there. The Move Forward program, the events, the team, the ambassadors. Um, if you go onto Instagram, at battle.cancer, um, again, you'll ping up. We recently managed to get our first 10K followers, so we have a swipe up now, so it's all super professional. Um, so anyone can find us through, uh, through those. Um, but yeah, just spare us a couple of seconds. You know, I always laugh and joke with people, especially people in the fitness industry. They eat lots of protein, they sit on the toilet, and they post on Instagram all day long. Give me two minutes while you're sat on that <laughs> toilet of going onto battlecancer.com, and I promise you, it's worth those two minutes. And uh, I will be uh, linking all those in the show notes below. But lastly, Scott, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and what you're doing to inspire this world is truly going to leave a, a phenomenal legacy. No, thank you so much, mate. And it just It's really cool to just have a chat with someone. Uh, we often just get asked the same question of like three questions and then it's out. So it was really, really cool for you to give us this time. So it's been really, really nice for me. Thanks so much, dude.